Hey, thank you for tuning in to the Fountain Podcast. We pray that this message blesses you and helps you to see Jesus clearly, love him deeply, and follow him wholeheartedly. Let's dive in. This has been a series where, man, we're going to get some knowledge, but we're going to get some wisdom that, that we can apply. So uh, the title of this message is going to be Guard the Gates. Guard the Gates. All right. So let, let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your mercy. God, thank you for visiting us during worship. Lord, we just sense your presence, God. And Lord, I just believe, Lord, there is a word, God, that you want to press on every single person's heart, Lord. So God, speak through the message today and through your word, Lord. Lord, your word says that it never comes back void. So God, we believe you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. You ever made a decision that you wish you could take back? You want, don't, don't raise your hand. We all, we all have those moments. Now, I've shared this before, but I think it's worth sharing again because of how ridiculous it is. So when I was 20, 19, 20 years old, say 19 so it makes it sound better. I was 19 years old. And um, it was during Christmas time, and I have some family in Southern California, and so, man, I got my car, and I'm ready to, like, go down to Los Angeles, you know, hit that five and two hours, I mean, six hours, six hours on the five, and, um, man, I, I've known for a while that I needed to get an oil change. You guys know where I'm going. Okay, cool. You guys are tracking. Okay. And I, I was two hours in the trip, and smoke started coming from my car. I don't know a lot about cars, but smoke's pretty bad usually, right? And, but the, the smoke wasn't going out of the car. The smoke was coming inside of the car. I literally felt like I was in a movie scene. I'm like, that's it. Going to LA for Christmas and that, that's the end of the story. So I pull over and I'm at a gas station. Like, you know, any, you know, smart person would do. I would get out of the car. I open up the hood. And I'm like, huh, yes. <laughs> Had no idea what I was looking for. I had no wisdom. I didn't, I didn't have knowledge either in that moment. As I'm looking to my checks, I'm like, and I don't, if you were to ask me, Chris, why did you make this next decision? I honestly couldn't tell you why. But I'm like, you know what? I think I can make it. I, I feel like I can, I can make it. We're going to talk about that later, okay? So put a little bookmark there. I didn't make it more than an hour past that. And thank God I had, you know, some great friends who came, rescued me. My car couldn't be salvaged. But how many of you guys know that I wish I listened to my dashboards? There, there, it's not like there wasn't a warning sign. It's not as if there wasn't a working dashboard. That was a user error. And thankfully, as believers, the Lord has given us a dashboard as well. We have his word. We have God's spirit. We have the church. We have community. But those things will only work in our lives if we allow it to. And I think when we think about getting wisdom, we usually think we're the exemption, exemption to the rule. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I can make it to L.A. No, you can't, dude. Like, there's smoke coming in your car. Um, you haven't got an oil change in a while. Like, you're not checking the gauges. Like, that's completely off. And so what I want to talk to us today about is how we can get wisdom when it comes to temptation. I think when we think about temptation, we think of this big, bold, bad thing that's so easy to see and spot. But I think if it was, we wouldn't get trapped in it so many times. Yeah. I think temptation can be so subtle, maybe even a little seductive at times. And it just kind of creeps in. You're like, wait, why was I going to LA? <laughs> like That was a terrible decision. And we all know what it's like for us to drop our guard. 
And maybe an example would be maybe if you're in a relationship and you had a high, high regard of gratitude and privilege, but you weren't tending to that relationship. You weren't nurturing it. Months later, like, what? Like, why are we here? This doesn't make any sense. It does make sense. It was subtle. It was a drift. And there was a temptation there. Maybe for some of us, right, man, we got the, we got the job of our dreams, like, man, like it's like, man, you, you are praying for this job. You're grateful for this job. But then you got a little lazy. Well, you know what? 15-minute breaks turn into 50-minute breaks, you know. It started taking advantage of things. And a couple months later, the dream job became a, not a job anymore. Why? Because, man, there was a temptation there that kind of just lured you away. And so what I want to talk about this morning is the power that temptation has on our lives and how we can break free of it. And so I'm going to take us to uh, Proverbs chapter 4, chapter, uh, chapter 4, verse 23. And this is a great example where the Bible's so rich, where it's easy to take a common and even a smaller passage and just go over, miss the nuances of this. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Now, that word guard, it's not used neutrally, is it? Like that word guard, it almost like it has like this urgency like in its tone. It almost like it has like this, this seriousness. Like you don't guard something if it's not important. You don't guard something unless there's something valuable at stake. And so what this proverb, what the Holy Spirit is using through this proverb is like, hey, guard, but be on alert right now and, and, and be guard of what? Your heart. Now, we talked about this before, but we think about the heart. We're not just saying, like, our feelings and our emotions. It's a part of it. But he, Hebraic thought is that your, your heart is your, your thoughts, your feelings, and your will, how you make your decisions. So what this proverb says, hey, you need to guard your heart, your thoughts, how you feel, all these different things. Why? Above all else? Different translations might say, for above all else, it could say uh, with vigilance, with diligence. The literal word for that is confinement. It actually means prison. Guard your heart, conf like, confine it like you would like in prison. And this goes against all that we probably have experienced or maybe even has, our world, has taught us where the world would tell you, hey, just go what feels right. Do what feels good. Listen, I've done a lot of things that felt good, but it wasn't good for me. Man, man, I've like, man, even this last week, man, great workout. Man, you're, you're crushing it, Chris. That's how I talk to myself, by the way. Crushing it, Chris. You got this. Man, you've, you've earned, not, not a scoop, but a pint of ice cream. Listen, it definitely felt good in the moment, but it did not feel good when I looked at the scale the next day. I'm like, I worked out for nothing. Terrible. Sorry, that's just confessional right there. <laughs> Terrible. So above all else, man, do what you feel. No, 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 no. Don't do what you feel. You confine it. And here's why. And let me, let me clarify. Feelings aren't a bad thing. Feelings are a gift from God. I'm glad that if something is like wrong in my body and it hurts, ooh, that feels bad, I should go get it checked out. Feelings are important, but here's the key. We're not led by our feelings. We're led by the Holy Spirit. We're led by the Word of God. We're led by Jesus and not by our feelings. And so 
the, this proverb is so beautiful because what it's saying is, is that you'll actually find freedom, not through by following your feelings, but through restraint. That when we allow the Holy Spirit through God's word restrain us and, and, and confine us to what's right, to what's true and what's holy, we actually find freedom. I wish I can find myself to like not go in my car to LA. I wish I held myself back. It felt like the right move, but it definitely, as the, as the result, looking at the result, it did not, it was not the right thing at all. And so we got to guard our heart. If we can go back to Proverbs, please, 422. We need to confine our hearts above all. Why? Because it determines the course of our lives. So you just get this picture that we need to guard what is coming inside of us, feelings, thoughts, our will, our soul. Here's why. Because it determines the course of our life. What we allow into our hearts will come out in our lives. And we've, we've experienced this before where maybe we dropped the guard when it came to gratitude and privilege. And all of a sudden, there was almost a sense of entitlement. I deserve this. I need this. It wasn't always there, but we dropped the guard. So what came in is now coming out into our lives. Maybe for some of us, we've dropped the guard to growth. We just, we just let it slide because, listen, growth is hard. Change is hard. And so we allowed maintenance and comfort to come into our hearts. And now we're not even maintaining. We're just kind of existing and going. And can I just tell you, God wants to get that out of your heart today. He wants to, he wants to put that guard up to the wrong things and allow the right things to come in. I want to double down on this idea of temptation as well. Pastor Matt did an incredible job looking at this passage in Genesis 3, so I'm not going to spend too much time on it. But remember in the beginning of the garden, when the Lord gave literally everything to Adam and Eve, this is yours, you can have everything, enjoy it, but there's that one tree that you can't eat from, the tree of good and evil. It's like right now when I tell my six-year-old, you can do everything, but you can't do this. I want to do that. Come on. <laughs> like, like, get it together. And so in that moment, what happens? The, the serpent comes. The devil comes. And says, hey, did God really say you're going to die? Well, yeah, of course he said I'm going to die. No, but did, did, did he really say that? Because it feels like he said it because he doesn't want you to be like him. And this is what it says in Genesis chapter 3, verses 4 through 5. You won't die, the serpent said. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you'll be like God, knowing both good and evil. Continue. Here's the key. The woman was convinced. She saw the tree was beautiful, and its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. I don't have time to go through it, but verse 7, and then she gave it to Adam. He ate it too, so it's both of them, okay? This isn't, this isn't like Eve. It's like, come on, Adam, step up, bro. And so with this, with the part I want us to see is that before Eve saw the fruit was beautiful, she was convinced. A lot of times we think about temptation. We, we think of it as um, it, it, the, these desires feel so strong. 
I don't know if I can actually contain this. I would submit to you humbly that with temptation, you're facing more deception than you are desire. Because the deception was, no, 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 God, he, he just doesn't want you to be like him. Are you serious? He made everything in there so he could have a relationship with them. But what the enemy did was, no, no, he's trying to withhold from you. She was convinced, and then the fruit was like, wow, it looks amazing. Why wouldn't I want that wisdom? So a lot of times when we're facing desires that we don't want, there's usually a deception underneath. And another way that I would put it is that when it comes to temptation, it's more about what you're believing than what you're feeling in those moments. So when, when, the, when the gate is down, yes, look at the desires, but what's underneath that desire? Where is that deception? I'm just wondering if... For some of us in this room or even online, it feels like I just can't make enough time for God's word. I just can't spend time with God's desire. But really the deception is, is that, man, I can really um, listen to the way there's this world and that God's word isn't really applicable. See the difference? It's like, man, it, there's this desire, but no, 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 it's not the lack of desire. It's the deception underneath as well. So what I want to talk to us today about is how we can get wisdom when it comes to temptation. And we're going to be looking at 2 Samuel chapter 15 today, verses 1 through 6. And we're going to give you some context. We're going to be looking at the libel parts of Absalom's life. Absalom is David's son, and there's some friction between them. There's, there's some conflict that we're going to be talking about, okay? So uh, chapter 15, verse 1 says this. After this, Absalom bought a chariot and horses and he hired 50 bodyguards to run ahead of him. He got up early every morning and went out to the gate of the, of the city. When people brought a case to the king for judgment, that's important, Absalom would ask where in Israel they were from, and they would tell him their tribe. Now, let me give some context. So the gate of the city was really important because that's where um, the city would handle most of the, the, their affairs. And so if you were coming to the gate of the city, you'd come early in the morning, you want to be first in line, and there might be some issues that you don't resolve. It could be a decision that needs to be made. It could be something, conflict with family. Maybe there is some shortage of, of, of food. But basically, you would get up early, you would go to the gate of the city, and you, you would look for the king to resolve the issues. Scholars and commentators would say, and they're, and they're speculating, is that there was some tension, some frustration, because King David at that time, he was getting older, but also there were still battles going on, so he was at war. So it seemed like there was a lot of unresolved issues and tensions happening. It'd be almost like, you know, if one of us needed to go to the DMV, and we didn't make an appointment, and it's like, all right, like, like, let's do this. And then you, you get your number, and then it says, number 1,422, ZBE. And you're like, oh, Lord, maybe I will drive without that license. <laughs> like, this is not good. I'm tempted right now in all the wrong ways. And so there's, like, this tension, right, that they're feeling, probably. And so verse 3 says this. Then Absalom would say, you've really got a strong case here. It's too bad the king doesn't have anyone to hear it. I wish I were the judge. Then everyone could bring their cases uh, to me for judgment, and I would give them justice. So shady. 
That's, that's my uh, scholarly interpretation. Shady. Continues, verse, uh, verse 5. When people tried to bow before him, Absalom wouldn't let them. Instead, he took them by the hand and kissed them. Absalom did this with everybody who came to the king for judgment, and so he stole the hearts of the people of Israel. So you see this scene where Absalom is very intentionally but subtly being deceptive and wicked, where every single day he would go to the gate, he would listen to the people, and he would put in there, oh, I'm so sorry. That's I, I, I would never do that to you. Let me, let, me, let, me, let me take care of that for you. Let me, let me try to figure this out. And so what we started to see happening over years is that what Absalom was doing was taking Israel's hearts and turning their devotion to David's leadership now to his leadership. And our pastors have said this so many times, and it's so good, that the devil lives in the realm of assumption. And that whenever there is a gap, and it could even be a gap that's not intentional or unintentional, but whatever there's a gap, whether it's communication, relational, we often feel that gap with either trust or suspicion. And that could be applied in marriage with you and Jesus, friends. It could be a plethora of things. But when there is a gap, am I putting trust or am I putting suspicion there? And so, and, and, and here's the crazy part, is that the people, they could have legitimate concerns, but you know what? Absalom didn't care if they were legit or not legit. I'm at the gate, and I'm waiting. Where is my opportunity to get in there and to divert your heart from David to me? And in that same way, the enemy every day is at the gate of our hearts and wanting to intercept what we could bring to the Lord and take it for himself. What the enemy wants to do is that he wants to take our devotion and our satisfaction and our um, loyalty to, to the Lord and divert it back to him. And maybe even to ourselves. Like, no, no, I, I wouldn't do that to you. Like, like let me, let's try to figure this out for you. And so we got to be so careful in these moments of vulnerability, but even at times where we feel like we're right, that we don't divert our attention in the, wrong, in the wrong way. So I've been asking myself this question this week, is how did, over this period of time, Absalom turn the hearts that were loyal to David and now loyal to him? Well, let's start in verse chapter 3, where it says this. You've really got a strong case here. <laughs> so shady. Jeez Louise. Ugh. It's too bad the king doesn't have anyone to hear it. You know what he was doing is he might have been playing on their exhaustion. He might have been playing on, on their fatigue. But really what the goal was, I want to get you discouraged. Because if the king, like, because the king isn't here, man, that, that might speak to your value. That might speak to your importance. That just might speak to, like, you know, who you are. But what the enemy wanted to do was to discourage them in that moment. And when we're discouraged, discouragement will tempt us to settle. Now, now we all have discouraging moments, but it's another thing to live discouraged. 
where, where we allow these things inside of our gate, we allow discouragements to take root in our soul, and now we're living settled. And unfortunately, we all know what that's like, where God has put dreams inside of our heart. God has called us to imagine more and to have faith and to believe, but yet I feel like I just can't because I'm discouraged. And there, there's a gap right now. Did you know that most of the time before a breakthrough, there's always opposition? Opposition always precedes breakthrough. Where the enemy, when, when, when we see a gap, the enemy wants us to be discouraged. This is what it is. But God's like, if there's a gap, I can break through it. Think about David. David had just gotten back from war, and he went back to Ziglag. And his town, his people got ravaged. The leaders got ravaged. The food got All these things were messed up. And now even his own troops are like, dude, we're going to stone you. Like, this isn't, like, we're, like, we're not in a good place right now. Talk about David feeling discouraged in that moment. But what did David do? Scripture says that David encouraged himself in the Lord. He encouraged himself in the Lord. And so even if you're at a gap right now, even if you're discouraged, God wants to strengthen you. And he wants to break you through opposition simply just means that God wants to break through this next area. So number one is discouragement. Number two, we see in verse four. I wish I were the judge that everyone could bring their cases to me for judgment. And I will give them justice. Enemy's so sly. Because it feels so right, doesn't it? You're not getting justice. Let's get it for you another way. There's got to be another way to do this, right? Basically, what the enemy is trying to do is, hey, I want to get you offended. Because if I can get you offended, you're going to turn your heart away from God, even if it's not intentional, but you're going to turn it somewhere else. And so when we are, when we are tempted with with offense what really we're dealing with is with judgment offense will tempt us with judgment it's you know as as believers we're meant to judge in the sense of holiness unholiness right versus wrong but that's different than becoming the judge himself and being a judge maker in in that moment and so let me let me give an example like with with uh, being a fence and, and all that, is that you could have some legitimate things happen to you where that was wrong, like that was sinful. But the enemy doesn't play fair, does he? The idea is with, with a fence is that, man, I'm, I'm offended, and so I'm going to put, put it right here in this one area, and it's not going to affect anything else. I'm going to leave it right here. But that's, that's the deception of when you're offended, and when you're living in judgment, is that offense actually puts a fence around you, and it restricts movement. Where take that person out that offended you, and now that you're judge- living in judgment against them, but now you just can't go where God wants to go. It restricts movement in your, in your soul. Let, let me make a confession. I don't have, I don't feel like I have like the strongest handshake. You guys didn't think I was, you're like, where is it going right now? But I don't, I, I don't feel like it's like the worst handshake. So you guys are laughing like you had a handshake for me. Like, this is why I do all hugs here. Okay. 
But there's been times where, like, as of, as of lately, <laughs> the last couple months, this thing, I don't even know why, but this thing, <laughs> this is so dumb, sorry. <laughs> this finger has just been hurting, like it got bruised or something. And so some of you, like, you know, strong, you know, trying to, like, really prove yourself strong, you know, handshakers will come in. I'm like, oh, gosh, you know. And so if I hug you, I do love you, but there's a good chance. Like, I'm, I'm a little nervous right now. And I think that's a great picture of what offense can look like in our lives where we can leave a situation, we can leave a movement, but we're still hurting in an area. So we go somewhere else, oh, 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 oh I, can't, I, can't, I can't do that. Where, where God wants us to go to a new place, a new area, really have us to live out our calling, but we can't because we're restricted. We left the person, the event, but we're still offended, so we're fenced into that offense. Can I tell you, God does not wanna, want us to live in offense he wants to free you. He wants to be able to, he, he didn't die so that we could just live in offense. He wants us to live free. It doesn't take away from the offense itself, but man, God wants us to deal with that offense. And so offense will cause us to um, live in judgment. And then verse five, when people tried to bow before him, Absalom wouldn't let them. Instead, he took them by the hand and kissed them. Absalom did this with everybody, so he came in, in, um, for the king for judgment, so he stole their hearts of all the people in Israel. And so what we really see in this moment is that Absalom is using seduction. He is trying to, 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 to seduce the people away from David into himself. Now, when I say seduction or seduce, it doesn't always mean sexual. Seduction, really what it is, is that you are trying to take something that's either not yours or it's not the right time. And so think about Absalom. He is not called to be king, but he is trying to take something that does not belong to him. So you could be seduced or you could unintentionally or in his case, intentionally be the seducer. But we are trying to divide and conquer and take something that's either not mine or it's a not yet. Pastor Larry Bry, he said that as believers, he's talking about our calling. And, and a calling isn't just like pastoral ministry. As a believer, we all have a calling by God, a, an assignment, and a purpose. But he said that mo most believers, their callings aren't stolen, but they're forfeited. And so what seduction will have is do, the, the, the temptation is, is that we will be uh, seduced and then we'll forfeit what God has given us. Think about um, Esau and Jacob. Where Jacob, he's a hunter. He's out, he's out in the, you know, um, outside and just hunting and doing his thing. He probably had a firm handshake. Um, had to say that, sorry. And he, he, he came back from a day of hunting and he's like, Jacob, I'm hungry. Like, make me some soup. He's like, absolutely, I'll make you some soup but you got to give me your birthright. And Esau's like, man, what good is my birthright going to do for me right now? So he forfeited his birthright. We got to be so careful that we don't let our guard down to the seduction of the enemy 
where we trade a right now and not what God actually has for you. When we allow the gate down, we can allow the enemy to seduce us and to take us to places that we shouldn't be. And so let's not forfeit our calling. Let's trust it with the Lord. And so we've talked about, you know, at least three main ways of how we need to keep our gate up, guard our gates, but also we believe that a great defense is a, a, a great offense is a great defense as well. So we got to be in the offensive. And one thing that God is always interested in at all times is the motives of our heart. So one of the ways that we keep our heart pure and good with the Lord is that we check the motives of our heart. It says this about our motives. Proverbs 17, 3. Fire tests the purity of silver and gold, but the Lord tests the heart. And then in um, Proverbs, what's the next passage? You guys coming? Okay. Psalm 19, verse 14. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. So you see the connection between Man, the words that I'm speaking and also what I'm meditating on in my heart. Motive matters. You can do the right thing, but the wrong motive. You could say the right thing, but have it come from the wrong place. We've all been guilty of that. And so we got to keep the things out that don't need to be there. We got to guard the gate, but also we got to allow Jesus in the gate to clean out our motives. And so... I want to give a picture of where, and again, we've talked about this recently, but I think it's a great picture that when you look at Luke chapter 15 and you see the, the parable of the, of the two sons, where there's a younger son, which some of us are probably familiar with. He uh, took his inheritance from his father. He wasted it on wild living. He came back. And what did the father do? He forgave him. He loved him. He said, man, my, my son who was lost, he's now found. Praise God for that. He's not looking for those who are healthy. He's looking for those who are sick. But we often forget about the older son who looks good, who is doing all the right things. But when he hears about his younger son who's lost and now he's been found, he's not too excited about it. Here we read this in Luke chapter 15, verse 28. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and he begged him, but he replied, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to do. Continue. In all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on a prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. So what happened? A little pressure on the heart and the motive comes out. Where, whew, he's done everything wrong. And I haven't said, I, I haven't like said no to one thing and you've given me nothing in return. Just a little pressure just gets the motive out. But pressure doesn't have to be a bad thing. Pressure is a revealer, right? Where it says this, that, um, pressure will reveal the condition of our hearts. Pressure will reveal it. Remember when I uh, 
I don't know if it was my first time fasting, but it was like pretty early on when I, when I, when I started fasting. And um, I was just irritated. Like I was, and I, I tend to be more of a serious person, but I was just irritated. I was like, man, I want to eat. This is, I'm just frustrated. And I remember telling the Lord, Lord, I don't like to fast. So it's just, it just makes me irritated. He's like, Chris, the fast isn't irritating you. The fast is just bringing that irritation out of you. I was like, ooh, Lord, pressure. Pressure brings it out. That's why, why fasting and prayer is so important. Because it is a rhythm of our lives where we are posturing our hearts to the Lord. Where prayer connects us to God and fasting, what does it do? It disconnects us from the world. And sometimes in that disconnect, ooh, there's some, there's some friction. But that's where the Lord wants to meet us. And so pressure, if we allow it, it will reveal the motives of our heart, but also if we allow Jesus in, he will refine our motives. He'll reveal it, but he'll also refine it. A couple of years ago, I had a coach tell me this, and it just stuck with me, is that he talked about the law of hard. The law of hard is that whatever is hard for you right now, currently, that is a lid to where, you, to where God wants you to go in, in your next season. So an example would be, maybe it's when there's conflict. You tend to shut down. You tend to kind of put things away. And so for you, the the law of heart is, your lid is that when conflict happens, that you shut down and now you need to press into the Lord and have that critical conversation. And so all of us, we have a lid right now. And the beautiful thing is when God reveals it and when he refines us, we break that lid and then we go to something else. Because the Lord has always wanted to do something. And so when we allow the Lord to refine our motives and take those lids off, we can experience more of his glory. Let me, let me, let me give you an example. So I knew, um, I probably knew the first month that I met Lauren that I was going to marry her. Took, took her a little bit longer, but that's all right. <laughs> we, we got to the same goal. And um, I, I just knew, I'm, like, I'm going to marry that girl. I'm going to marry that girl. And, uh, and it was time to get engaged. And I was like, oh, my gosh, like, I'm nervous. Like, like, financially, can we do this? Am I going to be a good husband? Like, am I, am I solid? I just, that to me was a lid. That was a lot of hard because I was trusting in, because I hadn't done this before, I was trusting in uh, myself and not the Lord. Some of the Lord telling me, you got to get engaged by faith. And I'm like, ooh, okay. Like, let's go. And so... I was already um, working part-time at my church. I was um, working at the Boys and Girls Club as a middle school director um, in American Canyon. And then I was like, hey, like, let's get a third job. And so I opened up a Lowe's out in Vacaville. And I thought I was just going to work hard, make money, be a good husband. But I didn't realize what the Lord was going to do in that period of time. See, they put me as a cashier in the garden area. And I don't, even, I don't even like plants. I don't even look at them. I, I don't know what they were thinking. And the beautiful thing is, like, you know, I don't know why. Cashiers on the inside, they start at 7, but the garden people get there at 5. But no one actually shops until 7 a.m. Like, you might get, like, two people. I'm, I'm venting, sorry. But, like, two people for two hours. But I had two hours, four or five times a week, just to be with the Lord. <laughs> Just being his word, I just remember it like it was so sweet 
or speaking his word and praying. And I would take receipt paper out and I'd rip it off and I'd, I would write messages out. And it was like, God, you're speaking to me. And I didn't realize that when I just said yes to him and I obeyed him, what God was going to do inside of my heart. And I know that's true for you as well. That when God reveals something, he wants to refine it. He's not going to show you something and not give you the grace to overcome it. Peter tells us that God has given us all that we need for life and for godliness. So if you're facing a lid, he's got what you need to break through it. And so God wants to refine our faith. He wants to renew. He wants to take the condition of our heart. So what we need to do is we need to guard the gate. We got to guard our gate against discouragement. You might be just, oh, I'm just in it right now. But before a breakthrough, there's opposition. But God's going to teach you how to strengthen yourself in the Lord. Some of us, we might be dealing with offense. And God has so much compassion. He has so much grace for you. But he doesn't want you to care that anymore. It's not worth the judgment. And then some of us are, have just been seduced by things, knowingly or unknowingly, that the Lord's like, don't forfeit your calling. Don't forfeit your intimacy. Don't forfeit what I've given to you. Don't forfeit that. God has so much more for you. So let's let him explore the motives of our heart. We can trust him to take care of our hearts. We close the gate to the enemy, but we allow the Lord in to renew our motives. Let's pray. Hallelujah. God, thank you so much for your presence and your goodness, Lord. God, I thank you, Lord, that even though, God, there are Absaloms at the gate, Lord, God, you will show us what those are. And that, God, that I pray, Lord, that you would not, that you would help us, God, to not divert our devotion to the enemy, but, God, that we would put our devotion and our direction towards you. So, Lord, we just capture those things in the name of Jesus, God. Exhaustion, fatigue, discouragement, offense, judgment, seduction, lust. God, we cast that down in the name of Jesus. And God, I thank you, Lord, that you're a God that doesn't just take away things, but Lord, you, you give something in return. So God, thank you, Lord, for your spirit. God, thank you, Lord, for renewing our strength today. And I pray, Lord, maybe you're here today in person or online, and you've never dropped your gate for Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. And I've got good news, friend. He died the death that you should have died. He lived the life that you should have lived. He paid for the penalty of your sins so that you could be right with the Father, to have new life. So if that's you today, and you want to receive the forgiveness of your sins and to come home today to the Father, with everyone's heads bowed and eyes closed, I'm asking that you would just look up, and I, I want to agree with you right now in prayer. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. God, I thank you, Lord, for those that are lifting up their heads right now, God, and for those online that are clicking that link. God, thank you, Lord, that you redeem, you renew, you restore. God, you are a God of second chances. So thank you, Lord, God, for the grace, God, that you are given in this moment. And Lord, bless, God, every single person here. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you again for tuning in to The Fountain Podcast. 
where our heart is to lead people to see Jesus clearly, love Him deeply, and follow Him wholeheartedly. You can also find more content by following us on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and by downloading our app.